Okay, I'm here. Let's, yeah, let's try this thing again. I'm going to start the intro now. Hey, good evening, everybody. I am back, and I have power, and everything seems to be working. Yep, everything seems to be working. So we're going to try this again, a uh, an evening stream to make up for this morning stream's um, failure. I The power was out for like, I don't know, the power was out for like an hour. Um, so I could have gone live and done like a really short show, but I decided, nah, I'll just... I'll just wait and I'll just, I'll get it all in, in a, in a, on an evening stream. Now I do hate it that I'm live right now at the same time as, um, as altered States over on badlands. That kind of sucks. So I, I do apologize for that. Making people choose. I try not to be live at the same time as shows on badlands, but that's inevitable because badlands is going to continue to grow and the goal is to have shows going on Badlands like all the time. Like eventually that's the goal is that there's going to be shows on Badlands regularly and I'm not going to be able to help streaming at the same time as them. Um, so I got to do what I got to do. And thank you for joining me. Thank you for choosing to watch this stream live tonight. If you are here, really appreciate it. We're going to talk about the special counsel's office with Jack Smith. We're going to talk about a um, little bit of Seth Rich laptop news that I didn't cover when I covered it when I was talking about the filing on Monday. And um, then we got SBF. 
Samuel Bankman Freed being indicted, and we're going to go through that indictment. If there's time and the coffee hasn't run out, then I've got some swamp draining news I can go over. So I have a I have a packed show, honestly. I have a lot of stuff. And um yeah, let's we're gonna cover that today. I see some talk in uh in Rumble chat about some problems with Behizzy's channel and some others, but everything seems okay on my end. So if Rumble's having problems, then that's just Rumble. That's just Rumble being Rumble. I there's nothing I can do about it. I do want to say in um about this morning's stream, um I saw Rwood79 left a, a Rumble rant. Thank you very much for that. That's much appreciated. And then T Neo Phoenix32. I can see a I saw a comment that was left saying, wait, Kyle, no, bro. I mean it's good. I'm not. You're telling me you weren't blackpilling, um, but I'm not exactly sure why you thought I was addressing you. But I, anyway, I wasn't. So I, I I just wanted to say I'm sorry that you thought that I was uh, accusing you of blackpilling specifically. I wasn't. I hadn't read your comment. So um, I was talking in general about something, I guess, having to do with blackpilling over SVF. And I, I apologize that you thought I was talking about you specifically. So um, that's where my chat froze this morning on my computer. Whenever we lost power is uh, the battery kicked out on my laptop and I just had a frozen screen of rumble and your chat was left up there. So apologies to you that, that you thought that I, I promise that's not what I meant. Um, all right. Let's see. How's a, Hey, Foxhole people. Cat girl, monopulent, welcome. Rumble is saying the Rumble chat is saying they're having problems with this stream. How's the stream for y'all over on Foxhole? Um, so I, on my end, I can't tell that it's messed up at all. Everything looks fine to me, but uh, I'll probably just continue doing the show because it looks perfectly fine to me, and I'll just feel really bad for people on Rumble. It might be a bad night on Rumble. And that's just it. Uh, Telegram looks fine to me, too. Yeah, Telegram looks smooth. This is going to be one of those days, huh? What's going on? This is one of those days where, like, there's just uh, there's just problems. The power went out not just for my block this morning. The power went out for, uh, like, half the city. And I don't know what it was. The city started – the power started coming back in different areas. My wife works downtown which is miles from me in a totally different net. I mean, it's on a different section of the grid and they lost power too. Foxhole says they're good. Okay. And they say rumble has been, has been iffy all night. Well, that's not, that's not really surprising. Unfortunately, I wish I am thankful. I am thankful for rumble. I am. I'm very thankful for Rumble. I'm glad we have Rumble, and I'm glad they have the policies that we do, and we can talk about all the things you want to talk about on Rumble and not not have any issue, but it's become pretty regular that Rumble messes up for whatever reason, gives people issues with streaming. 
Okay. Yeah, D-Life says they're good, but Rumble was down for them. Okay. All right. Yeah, Florida girl, Rumble is a mess. It is. I'm thankful for it, but yeah. Okay. We're going to continue. I'm sorry about people having an issue, but I uh, can't do anything about it right now. All right. First topic that uh, if you if anybody on Rumble wants to go to Foxhole, there's the link for it in Rumble chat. Or if you go to my if you just go to the links, my link tree, you'll find all the places that I stream, which are Telegram, D Live, Foxhole, and Rumble. Let's go to our first topic. We're going to back up a bit and talk about Seth Rich because you may remember on on a Monday, I read some of the filing in the Seth Rich case. Specifically, I read the FBI's filing explaining that there were two laptops. There was a personal laptop, which they did not have and never have had, um, but they have images of, and uh, they also have a a work laptop and the work laptop is not subject to the FOIA and it's in an evidence room and that the case, the, the criminal prosecutions are still ongoing. So a lot of people were upset about this and there was a lot of reactionary takes about it, that this is terrible. They won't let us see what's on this laptop and the FBI is trying to bury it. And all this stuff. And I don't really buy into that, but I understand the cynicism. Um, and then we also looked at how the DNI specific, one of the, one of the reasons there's an exemption on this laptop is because of FBI sources and methods, which is pretty interesting. And then also because the DNI issued a directive that this was exempt from FOIA because it's that important. There was another part of that filing called a CIDL declaration. And I knew the CIDL declaration was important, but it was also much longer than the other filing that I had read. And I don't believe there was enough time left in the show. So I, I decided to move off of it without reading the CIDL declaration. Probably should have read it to y'all because it's got some stuff in it. Lucky for us, Dawson S. Field read it and did a thread on it. And this is... This is going to be good. From Dawson S. Field on Twitter, I encourage you to give him a follow. He has a brilliant mind. From the Seth Rich FOIA case, if you know FOIA cases, a declaration by Michael G. Seidel is always the best place to start. That was my mistake, guys. I started with the FBI's filing itself. The fake news attached to Seth Rich makes it difficult to get factual information in this case. No kidding. No kidding. Rich's work laptop is not FBI property and does not contain agency documents. It is DNC property. So FBI does not have legal authority to release it under FOIA or to FARA. And this is factor one from the CIDL declaration, the intent of the document created to retain or relinquish control before embarking on the analysis, it should be noted that the analysis assumes the item being evaluated is a document or a record. The work laptop is not itself neither a document nor a record under the normal meaning of those terms. 
The laptop is a physical evidentiary item, as referenced on Bates' pages, and then it gives those citations. The owner of the work laptop is a non-government third party, the DNC, not subject to FOIA. Upon receipt of the work laptop, the FBI stored the physical item in an evidence control room. The work laptop is not FBI property, nor is any of the data contained on the device generated by the FBI. The same applies to the derivative evidence, specifically the tape drive and DVD containing duplicated images of the original work laptop's content. These duplicated images are also stored in an evidence control room. The FBI's Digital Evidence Policy Guide, and it has a footnote number two here, defines digital evidence as digital evidence seized at a search scene or otherwise lawfully obtained and stored in an evidence control facility. Likewise, master copies are copies of digital evidence that are stored on media to be retained and logged on an FD-1004 FBI evidence chain of custody form. Per the FBI's Records Management Policy Guide, the physical items, such as the work laptop, DVD, and tape drive, are not considered a record and are treated as evidentiary property managed under a different set of rules and regulations than actual agency records, which must follow specific record retention plans approved by National Archive and Record Administration, NARA. NARA sure comes up a lot lately in a lot of different ways, doesn't it? Um, as with all evidence, this is Dawson's comments, as with all evidence, the FBI will have to give it back to the proper owners, the DNC, after all criminal proceedings have terminated, which means the criminal proceedings have not been terminated. There is the, I mean, that is, that's basically the main takeaway or one of the main takeaways from these filings. One, there's two laptops, but two, obviously, the criminal proceedings related to the Seth Rich laptop have not been terminated or are ongoing, which matches what the FBI agent Chan said in the Missouri case, the Missouri lawsuit, um, that he said that it, the DNC hack was still under investigation. Now, the cynical take on this, which is a popular one, and I understand it, is that, look, they're just going to keep it ongoing forever so as to bury it and keep us from seeing what's on the laptop. And so this is just another trick by the FBI to keep the investigation going on forever and never give us access to it. They're saying it's ongoing because there are Russians related to it that are indicted, but they're never coming to America and they're never going to get caught. So the FBI is just burying it. This is a, it's an excuse. I don't, I don't share that. I, I don't share that cynicism. I just, uh, I just don't. Um, I think, I think it's good news that it's ongoing and yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's how I think of it. Factor two, the ability of the agency to use and dispose of records as it sees fit. The laptop and derivative evidence at issue here are in the FBI evidence control room as documented in the FBI's 1B evidence forms, Bates. And it's December 9th, 2022 supplemental release. 
Based on the nature of the information within the above cited records, the FBI determined it does not have the right to use and dispose of the evidentiary items as it sees fit. Instead, per the digital evidence policy guide referenced above, this evidence will return to its rightful owners when all criminal proceedings have been terminated. Confirming FBI has has read the laptop by not answering that question, but disputing if the agency agency relied upon that information to make agency decisions. Factor three, the extent to which agency personnel have read or relied upon the document. The FBI found no indication that the FBI relied on the content of the work laptop DVD or tape drive. The laptop and records on it are not FBI records under FOIA and are evidence collected by FBI in a criminal case or in criminal cases that are not over. Factor four, the degree to which the document was integrated in an agency record system or file. While the FBI documented the receipt of the evidentiary items described in two documents referenced above, the FBI found no indication that either the work laptop or the derivative evidence was incorporated into its record systems or files. Instead, the FBI stored the evidentiary items in the evidence control room as physical items of evidence and substantially the same manner as it would handle a bloody glove or a firearm. In some, the FBI clearly distinguished these physical items as non-record evidence subject to the disposition of evidence. That's pretty interesting that that's how they're treating this laptop. I have to think on that. Think about how they could, uh, how that factors in. That's interesting. As distinguished from the related investigative case file document subject to FOIA handled under the established record retention plan approved by NARA, the FBI determined the physical work laptop, DVD, and tape drive are not actual agency records, but rather are physical evidentiary objects not subject to the FOIA. Accordingly, because the physical work laptop, DVD, and tape drive are not agency records under the FOIA, the FBI did not address these items in its prior filings. Seidel runs RIDS, so it's why his declarations are always fun to read in FOIA cases. The laptop was not an FBI record. It didn't show up in FOIA searches for documents, but they find hard copy documents, not in the Sentinel system, that's the FBI records and messaging system, that were property receipts for the laptop. Um, A lot of people are mad and feel like the FBI is doing dirty tricks here because the work laptop didn't show up in these FOIA searches, but it makes sense that they wouldn't, it wouldn't show up because it's not subject to FOIA because it's a object of evidence that's in an evidence control room. So you can understand it, but I can also understand why people are making the argument. Nah, they're just burying it and they don't want anybody to get at it because they don't want them to see. And then they add on their hypothesis or theories about what might be on it. During its search for the work laptop, RIDS contacted an FBI special agent assigned to an FBI computer intrusion navigation or intrusion investigation. As a result, RIDS also located a letter from a third party that accompanied the work laptop. Two FD-1004's FBI evidence chain of custody forms and three-page forensic report detailing the actions performed by an outside entity to image the work laptop. These newly located records were not indexed to the subject. Seth Rich's Seth Rich within the central record system, nor is Seth Rich's name 
mentioned in the FD-1004s or Forensic Report. It didn't belong to Seth Richard. It belongs to the DNC. These records were attached to the physical evidence, the work laptop, the DVD, and the tape drive, and were not electronically uploaded to the electronic case file in Sentinel. As such, a search of Seth Rich's name would not have located these records, even with a text search of Sentinel. It was only through discussion with the SA, the special agent, assisting RIDS to locate the work laptop that RIDS was able to determine that the report and the letter from a third party in chain of custody. The newly found documents are FOIA exempt because they are evidence connected to an ongoing criminal investigation. RIDS found them decided uh, found them, decided they were FOIA responsive, but they were exempt from a release under FOIA law. And then it gives you those exemptions that I went over on the show on Monday. All the information is being withheld is due to valid FOIA exemptions, and I covered those. those the exemptions claimed are described here, and that's exactly what I showed you. Release would expose classified info, pending cases, privacy issues, and law enforcement techniques. This evidence was collected by Special Counsel Mueller's office and is relevant to the prosecution of alleged Russian intel agents for hacking the DNC. Now, don't don't get tripped up on that. That is what the Mueller report says and other reports say. But a hack does not necessarily mean that it was done remotely. A hack can be done on site which we've seen evidence that makes us believe that it was done on site, but it can still be a hack. It can still be called a hack. Background about the impending enforcement and also the whole investigation of the hack. There's so much fake news about it and there's confusion about it. And there are some reasons to be skeptical about the analysis of it because the, um, the person handling the laptop and for the DNC at that time was Michael Sussman and CrowdStrike said they never got everything they needed to do an evaluation of the laptop like they wanted to. And uh, it was too controlled for them. And then you have Joffe in the mix who's able to spoof IP addresses and whatnot. So there's, there are some things about the DNC hack, which are decidedly sus and, the whole thing is, I, I feel like we don't actually know the whole story, although a lot of people think they do. All right, background about the pending enforcement proceeding. In or around 2016, the Russian Federation operated a military intelligence agency now called the Main Directorate of the General Staff of the Armed Forces of the Russian Federation, then known as the Main Intelligence Directorate and still commonly known by the abbreviation GRU, the Russian abbreviation of, and I'm not going to even try that word, that in a short is the Foreign Military Intelligence Agency of the General Staff of the Russian Armed Forces. The GRU had multiple units, including units 26165 and 74455, engaged in cyber operations that involved the staged releases of documents stolen through computer intrusions. These units conducted large-scale cyber operations to interfere with the 2016 U.S. presidential election. On July 13, 2018, 
a grand jury of the District of Columbia in the United States of America versus Victor Borisach show returned an indictment against Victor, Boris Antonov, Dmitry Badin, Ivan Yermakov, and Alexei Lukashev, and then Sergei Morgashev, Nikolai Kozachek, Pavel Yershov, and Artem Malashev, Alexander Osudhuk, Alexei Potemkin, and Anatoly Kovalev, charging them with one or more of the following. Conspiracy to commit an offense or defraud the United States, aggravated identity theft, and conspiracy to launder money. The FBI determined these specific documents and records are not subject to FOIA release. The FBI processed and released all reasonably segregable, non-exempt information from records responsive to plaintiffs' FOIA requests that are subject to FOIA. The FBI processed the records under the access provisions of the FOIA to achieve maximum disclosure. Information was properly withheld in its entirety pursuant to FOIA exemptions 3, 6, 7A, 7C, and 7E. We went over those. The FBI carefully examined the documents and determined the information withheld from plaintiff in this case, if disclosed, could reasonably be expected to interfere with pending or prospective enforcement proceedings, would reveal statutorily protected information, would cause a clearly unwarranted invasion of privacy or could reasonably be expected to constitute an unwarranted invasion of personal privacy and or would disclose techniques, procedures for law enforcement investigations. Further, the FBI determined the work laptop DVD tape drive are not records subject to FOIA after extensive review. The FBI determined there is no further non-exempt information that can be reasonably segregated and released without revealing exempt information. DOJ is also seeking clarification on the parameters of the judge's ruling in regards to Rich's personal laptop. Was the order to release any non-exempt information or was the judge waiving away exemptions? That is the question that they are asking. Okay. I see people in rumble saying they're still having problems. I don't know what I can, I can do about it. I have, I have no idea what I can do about the problems. I can either just keep streaming and it's recording at the same time and I'll upload the recording when um when I'm done and take off the uh messed up one or I mean or I can just quit and give up tonight. Like I don't I don't know what else can I can do. On on my end Everything's good. Like the stream's good. And I'm connected everywhere. Like everything that I can see on my end is just fine. But there's tons of people telling me that they have problems. And I, I hundred percent believe you. I believe you, but I got, I got no idea what I can do to, uh, to deal with them. Um, It's just one of those days, isn't it? It's just one of those days where there's going to be. It's like I wasn't meant to stream today or something. But whatever. Um, 
as you can see, I was going to promote Benson Honey Farms next. <laughs> so Benson Honey Farms, if you're interested in buying some honey or some barbecue sauce or some honey candy or some honey soap, all these products are awesome. I've used all of them. And one of the newer ones are the, the car freshers, car freshies. I think they call them freshies. Um, air fresheners for your car. Um, I know that they made me one. They made me a car freshener, which I think is hilarious. Mo made this car freshener that is like, it's like, it's tobacco and something. Tobacco and, I don't remember it's tobacco and coffee. It's tobacco and something though. Anyway, it smells really good and I got one in my car right now. Uh, but I don't see them available to order on the site, but regardless, it doesn't matter. If you're interested in some car fresheners, these are good. And whatever you want to buy from here, if you do use rep code, just human, it helps me out and it helps them out. Um, great company and, and good people. Bensonhoneyfarms.com is the place to go. All right. It's a good way to help the show out and then also get like an actual item in return. Some people are saying that it's working well for them, that Rumble's working fine. I don't know, guys. It's just, I'm glad it's working for you. I'll have to go back on the recording. I may end up, I may end up uploading this as a recording. It's, it sucks to do that because when you do that, you lose everything. So like this stream has so many rumbles and so many views already. And so I would lose all of that. And that sucks, but um, it's better to have like a good show. Um, Foxhole says they're fine. D-Life says they're fine. Okay. I'm going to save the SBF thing. I want to jump to the special counsel's office. So now this is an older story, just refreshing everybody. The DOJ subpoenas election officials in states Trump disputed. So this would be the swing states. And I'm sure you guys remember that we covered this and uh, it was. uh, We don't know the names of the individual specifically who got these subpoenas, or at least I haven't found any specific information. But the subpoenas have gone out and within this article it tells you what they're asking for which is for the period of June 1st through June through June 1st 2020 through January 20th 2021 produce any and all communications in any form to from or involving Donald J Trump for president incorporated the Trump campaign, Donald J. Trump or any employee or agent thereof or attorney for the Trump campaign or any records or documents that record, summarize, transcribe, annotate, or reflect any such communications 
Records produced shall include, but shall not be limited to, any and all communication to, from, or involving any of the following persons or entities, or any records or documents that record, summarize, transcribe, annotate, or reflect any such communications. And it listed list all of these people, which most of these are going to be very familiar names to you. So that's what they got. And then we got this news on December 12th, two days ago. The special counsel sends a Trump subpoena, which is kind of silly to call it a Trump subpoena. It's just fake news trying to inject into everybody's mind that Trump is the target here. And uh, anyway, special counsel sends a subpoena from the special counsel's office to Georgia's Secretary of State Raffensperger. Now, this is someone we all love to hate. Special counsel Jack Smith has sent a grand jury subpoena to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, bringing to five the number of 2020 battleground states where state or local election officials are known to have received such requests for any and all communications with Trump, his campaign, and a long list of aides. So reasonable to suspect that what Raffensperger got is very similar to this. All of these people. Raffensperger shot shot the prominence, blah, blah, blah. The request for records arrived in Milwaukee, Dane County, Maricopa, Wayne County, Michigan, all the places, all the key counties that caused the steal to be successful or that were pivotal, pivotal, essential to the 2020 steal. And then, oh yeah, this is a, we already got that one. And then today, special, this just this evening, special counsel Smith has subpoenaed officials in all seven states targeted by Trump allies in the 2020 election. Special counsel Jack Smith has issued a subpoena to local officials in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, for information related to the 2020 election. Quote, yes, we received a subpoena from the Department of Justice special counsel regarding the 2020 election. We have nothing further to share or provide, said Amy Downs, the county's communications director. The subpoena sent to Allegheny County is the latest in a string of them sent by Smith, who is overseeing the Justice Department's sprawling criminal investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Smith's team has now sent subpoenas to local and state officials in all seven of the key states, Georgia, New Mexico, Nevada, Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Now, the media is convinced that this is because they're investigating Trump and Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election through some sort of nefarious means. That is what their angle is. And that is their think that Trump is guilty of insurrection and he tried to overthrow an election and he had this conspiracy with all of these people. And that's what special, that's what Jack is going to get him on. Jack Smith is going to get all of these dirty Republicans who tried to undermine the U.S. election in 2020. 
But I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think that is what's going on. The recent subpoenas come as a group of election security advocates have called for Smith and other other federal agencies to investigate a series of voting voting system breaches in must, multiple states carried out by allies of Trump over the 2020 election. I'm going to say they're not actually allies. I think they're not actually allies. Smith and his team of 20 prosecutors are moving fast in the pair of criminal probes. Since Thanksgiving, he has brought a number of close Trump associates before a grand jury in Washington, including two former White House lawyers, three of Trump's closest aides, and his former speechwriter, Stephen Miller. So, I posted this last night, the Raffensperger one, on Truth, and me and Brian Cates had a discussion. And Brian gets it. Or at least Brian and I are on the same page. He, he commented, I wonder how many people have figured out what's really going on yet. And what he means is that Trump is not the target. The endless waves of media speculation that he is has prevented people from dispassionately assembling all the pieces and looking at them. Now, I should probably just go ahead and go back over why I don't think Trump's the target. And I never have. I'll start at the beginning. One, Trump has been cooperating with DOJ and NARA this entire time since leaving office when they first started making requests for records and all of that kind of stuff. Trump has had them at Mar-a-Lago. Trump has coordinated with them. He's allowed the FBI to come to Mar-a-Lago and look around. He's given them, they subpoenaed uh, security cam footage from the areas that they later, quote unquote, raided. And he complied with that subpoena. He did ask for several extensions of time. His lawyers did while they were looking for more records responsive to subpoenas from DOJ and NARA. Um, but he's been cooperating the entire time. And then when they raided, quote unquote, raided Trump on August 8th, Trump was aware of it and it was coordinated with Trump and his security and the secret service. Um, on August 5th, when that search warrant was signed, that search warrant included searching a place called 45 office. And I might as well bring this up so I can refresh everybody's memory. Um, when Trump got raided, no, here, August 5th from Dan Scavino, August 5th, midnight, or just after midnight, Scavino posts this picture of a door with 45 on it. And in the affidavit for the search warrant and what the search warrant says is they've been cleared to serve a search warrant at 45 office. So what happens in a, within a search, the FBI comes to your door and knocks and what did Scavino post? He posted a picture of a door with 45 on it. It kind of looks like an office door, which goes to the 45 office on the day of the raid. 
Around the same time that Trump revealed that the raid had taken place, Dan Scavino posted, do it, 45. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence that Trump was aware of this and it was a he is not the target and they work together to on this raid is that the media had no idea the raid was going on quote unquote raid was going on at Mar-a-Lago and the FBI was going in and out of Mar-a-Lago for something like eight hours and the media had no idea. Nobody knew it was going on outside of people at Mar-a-Lago until Trump told everybody it was going on with his announcement that night that it had happened. If Trump was the target and if this was DOJ after Trump, wouldn't they have alerted the media? Because if the media could get even five minutes of video footage of FBI vehicles and FBI agents in FBI jackets with the big yellow letters going in and out of Mar-a-Lago, they would play that video every day for the rest of our lives over and over again. They would tell us, they would remind everybody, they would make sure everybody had it in their mind, cemented there, that the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. They would never let us forget it. And they, every Democrat, and every rhino running for um, office would use that footage in their campaign commercials. It would be gold. All these people that are against Trump have been dreaming. They've been fantasizing about one day getting video footage of the FBI going in and out of a Trump property. And it happened. It happened for eight hours on August 8th. And they had no idea it was going on. They didn't get a tip off. Now, the other reason I don't believe the DOJ is after Trump is because I've read every filing that is available in all of these cases that have been made public. Of course, I haven't read the grand jury filings because it's grand jury. It's secret. But I've read every filing in the Mar-a-Lago search warrant uh, case that's public. I've read every filing in Trump's lawsuit. Um, all of it. Nowhere is Trump named a person of interest, a subject, or a target. Nowhere. The other reason is because, since I've read all those filings, I'm of the opinion that it's been a fake fight the entire time between the DOJ and Trump. It's the filings, and I've gone over them on this show, um, it's like they're having this fake fight over items. Like one of the best examples from that, when that one of the last times I read the filings was, uh, Trump making a fuss over how he had an immediate need to have his Celine Dion pictures returned and them properly categorizing some files, but then mixing others in, in certain places and, basically forcing the DOJ and the special master to make rulings about what is presidential record, what's executive privilege, what is a personal record. And then they keep bringing up the Clinton sock case and not one time, not one time during all of this have Trump's lawyers 
made an effort to prove or even claimed that Trump declassified these records. Now, they've made those statements outside the courtroom, but in the filings, they haven't tried to make that case. Um, and you would think they would if Trump was in trouble, right? If DOJ was actually after Trump over these supposedly classified documents, the obvious defense is for Trump's lawyers to prove in court that they were declassified. But they haven't tried to, they haven't touched that. So it looks to me like it's been a fake fight this entire time. Trump's got a, uh, He's got an announcement tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if his announcement tomorrow is that he's appealing the special master case that just got dismissed yesterday or a day before it got dismissed. I wouldn't be surprised if he announces he's appealing it to SCOTUS. And I also wouldn't be surprised if he loses, quote unquote, at SCOTUS. Because I think that's his goal. I think his goal is to play out moves that Hillary Clinton and other high office criminals would do if they were raided. And he's going to do this. He's going to do this dance with the DOJ now, which is fake in order to map out those moves and eliminate possible moves that they could make. And he's doing this to set precedent and he's doing this to make it so that let's say, Let's say Hillary gets raided and she goes to make similar filings. I need a special master. I need a, uh, I, I, and she sues DOJ for raiding her. And she tries all these things that Trump is trying now. And she has a friendly judge. Let's say DOJ will be able to say, no, this has already been ruled on by the 11th circuit federal court or court of appeals. This has already been ruled on by SCOTUS. This has already been ruled on in this case that we had against Trump or whatever. See what I'm getting at? He's playing out these moves now and establishing these precedents because it'll set a press. It'll set it so that she doesn't have as many moves available to her. The other reason that I do not believe DOJ is after Trump is because they've never been after Trump. (laughs) we've had six plus years of the fake news media telling us that the walls are closing in and that any day now Trump's going to be indicted. We had, we first heard about it. The left used to, and the media used to say that James Comey was going to get Trump. They used to say that Robert Mueller was going to get Trump. And then they said that McCabe was going to get Trump. Well, McCabe actually did try because he's a Clintonite. And he's as crooked as can, they can be. He can, they can be, and all roads lead to McCabe. Um, they were never after him, and then the fake news media switched to saying Barr was protecting Trump from everybody who was good in the FBI who was going to get Trump. And then now that Garland's in there, everybody's saying Garland's out to get Trump. Um, how how many times do we have to go through this? These same news cycles and these same stories trying to convince you 
that tr- what they're doing is they're trying to convince you that Trump is a criminal. They've got they've managed through this narrative effort that they've been on for six years. They've managed to convince millions of people that are moderates and are on the left that Trump actually is a criminal. He just gets away with it. And they've done that by using persuasion and narrative warfare, not through evidence and not through any fact where they can point to and say, see, they tried to get Trump for these crimes. Here are his crimes. And so this now, then here, and here's the, I said that was the final thing. Here's the final thing. Trump made that announcement after when Trump announced he was running for president It didn't make sense to me. I didn't think he would announce he was running for president. It didn't make sense to me that he would announce so soon. So early on, it's like six months or more earlier than he announced in 2015 that he was going to run way ahead. There's certain things that happen when you file to run for office, things about money get locked in and there's all sorts of rules. You know, you, you put yourself in a box when you announce you're running for president. You bring in all sorts of rules and regulations on what you can do and say and on what you can use your money for. Before you announce, it's there, you're, you're way more open. Once you announce, you're constricted. And so you want to time your announcement. Politicians time their announcement to where they can afford to be restricted in those things. Announcing this early has been traditionally understood to be to be putting yourself at a disadvantage. So it didn't make sense to me that he would announce so early, but he did. And Cash Patel said Trump's announcement is going to set the media and political world on fire. And then he made the announcement, and a lot of people were disappointed in it because they were like, okay, he announced, and I'm glad he's running, but it didn't seem like that big of a deal, and it wasn't like this fiery speech. Like It wasn't like the first time he announced... What's up with that? And then three days later, the special counsel was announced and the appointment of Jack Smith happened. And I said, oh, that's why he announced this early. He announced Trump announced so early that he was running for president because it forced Merrick Garland to appoint a special counsel because now The Justice Department has ongoing cases and are being sued by someone who is running for president, which means he's run and Joe Biden has indicated he's running for president. So now there is the appearance, the unethical appearance of Joe Biden's DOJ going after Joe Biden's prospective political opponent in the next election year. So Garland had to appoint a special counsel and met the conditions for it. And it, it effectively forced him to do it. And another way of saying that is that, or what we can deduce from that is Trump wanted a special counsel. That's my belief. Trump wanted a special counsel appointed. And as soon as it happened, Trump said, it's what he said. It's Mueller 2.0. Witch hunt. And what did Mueller do? Mueller gathered gathered a whole bunch of evidence on a bunch of people that had that tried to frame Trump in 2016. And then 
he cleared Trump. He cleared Trump of having anything to do with the 2016 hack and all that kind of stuff. And that's what this guy's going to do. That's what I think Jack Smith is going to do. Everybody's talking about how Jack Smith is, including Trump, talking about how Jack Smith is, his wife is super liberal and likes Michelle Obama. And Jack Smith went after Tea Party patriots. And Jack Smith is, he went after Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell. And he's a, he's a, and the, uh, the leftist media is writing all sorts of stories about how Jack Smith is just a, an awesome prosecutor and there's there's no doubt he's going to find something on Trump. He's going to figure it out. He's the guy. It's all the same stories all over again. They used to write the same stuff about Mueller and talk about how and why Andrew Weissman and say that the, the left used to write about how they're going to get they're going to get Trump. Don't worry. These are the perfect people to get Trump. But then my perspective on it is that Good. Like build up, build up Jack Smith as this lefty attack dog. And then when he clears Trump of any wrongdoing, it'll have that much more of an impact. It'll carry that much more weight. So I think he's the perfect man for the job too, but I think he's the perfect man because when he clears Trump, it's going to show that Trump didn't do anything wrong. Um, Now what, Getting back to these subpoenas, where he subpoena the 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 word is from the MSM and from fake news that Jack Smith is investigating something that I've talked about before on this show, and it's kind of been a bit of a touchy subject. Um, it's that I think that Jack Smith, or it's it's the fake elect fake slates of electors. We've talked about this before on the show, and people have some strong feelings about it because they view they we all remember back in January, we remember that there were these other slates of electors that were trying to be drawn up in various states. I remember watching a video conference with like ones in Nevada being voted on outside. And I remember uh I think it was in Michigan, they were locked out of the legislature. And they wanted to go in and have a vote on an alternate slate of, slate of electors. Um, we called them alternate slates of electors back then. But the media calls them fake slates of electors. And all these people that had something to do with that are basically on this list. And by something, I just mean in some way had something to do with these slates of electors, allegedly. And so the word is that Jack Smith is looking at the January 6th riot, insurrection, whatever, and then the events leading up to it, such as the effort to use these alternate or fake slates of electors. And this is something DOJ has been looking at for a long time. I think... My my suspicion is that the fake slates of electors is a real thing. I think that swampy Republicans who helped steal the election from Trump and who wanted to make dang sure that Trump didn't find a way 
to stay in office, and even better, frame him for an insurrection and frame him for trying to illegally find a way to stay in office. I think they came up with this scheme to get him and Mike Pence to introduce fake slates of electors in the counting on January 6th. And if they did that, they could, they could then get them and impeach Trump on that criminality of criminally trying to subvert and undermine the 2020 election, the certification of it by using fake electors. That's what they, I think that's what they wanted Mike Pence to do was to take these alternate slates of electors and use them on January 6th. And I think that's what Jack Smith is investigating. And that makes a lot of sense with this list. And that makes a lot of sense with all of the places that he sent these subpoenas to all these key counties. Jack Smith is so, so, so close, so close to actually investigating the 2020 election. So close. Now, I'm not ready to tell you that he is investigating the 2020 election and the steal. But he's this close. He's so close. And if he's getting all these communications from all of these people, there's going to be communications in there about the steal. There's going to be records and whatnot about the steal in 2020, specifically about the steal in those specific counties. The other thing about this list of names right here is that this guy, Rudy Giuliani, and this lady, Victoria Tunsing, and this guy, Joe DeGenova, and Bernard Carrick. So four people, got four people on this list right here who have worked as assets for the FBI. Rudy Giuliani has worked as an asset for the FBI as recently within the past two years. Don't you think that Rudy Giuliani was wearing a wire and recording all of his conversations that he was having with these swampy Republicans during the 2020 election and then trying to track down the steal? Iowa Trump, that's exactly where my, my mind's going too. Lynn Wood, right here. Watch Lynn, watch Lynn Wood be involved in this fake slate of elector scandal and in the steal. Watch it turn out that he's involved in it. Imagine, imagine how different, see, imagine how it would have gone if on January 6th, Let's say let's say these slates of electors were fake, or at least some of them were. Okay, actually, let's just say one. Let's just say one slate of electors 
that was hurried up to Washington, D.C. and presented as an alternate slate. But actually, there were things about it that were fraudulent. Okay, let's just say that at least one of them was had some fraud about it. Imagine what would have happened if Trump had said, this is let's use this one. And Pence had agreed and Pence and or maybe some senator or representative had agreed to try and use an alternate slate of electors that had something about it that was fraudulent. Imagine how that would have gone on January 6th. They could have then exposed that. The swamp could have. Their swampy friends in Congress. And they could have exposed that and they could have used that to impeach both Trump and Pence. It made it so that Trump and Pence could never run for office again. See, ask yourself, why, why would the special counsel be investigating the fake slates of electors when Trump and Pence never did anything with them? They never, they never used this plan. They they never used this plan. So why is the special counsel's office investigating it? Now, Brian noticed something also uh, very interesting and noteworthy about this list of names. They're all lawyers. Everyone on this list is a lawyer. What are lawyers used for? What are, what are these lawyers used? What are lawyers used for by the swamp? Well, people in the swamp and in organized crime, they make sure to keep a lawyer in between themselves and the person who's also in on the crime with them because that lawyer can claim attorney-client privilege. Clinton, all of these people, all of these swamp monsters, they always make sure that between them and the person they want to communicate with about their organized crime, they put a lawyer in between them so that all of their communications can be labeled attorney-client privilege, and that means nobody can see them. And all of these people are lawyers. And at least four of them are lawyers who have worked as DOJ assets. So what's going to happen here is that they're going to claim attorney-client privilege on a lot of these communications, these lawyers are. And the ones that claim that deserve extra scrutiny. And we're going to have to take a look at them and what's going to ha- what might happen. Rudy Julie, this is how you play the game, guys. This is how okay, like people talk about 5D chess and Sun Tzu and Art of War. Okay. Here's the 5D chess move. Rudy Giuliani can claim attorney-client privilege. I'm not turning my stuff over. And then DOJ can argue it in front of a judge. And then the judge can say, well, let me look at these emails to make sure they actually are attorney-client privilege, as in you're giving legal advice. And then they can look at it and say, no, actually, you're not. these aren't attorney-client privilege. Ah, dastard. 
Oh, man, that dastardly judge in D.C. He made me give up my emails. That's what Rudy's going to say. When really he doesn't care. And then the rest of these are going to start opening up. And they're going to start getting a look at all of those emails. That's the 5D chess, is you send somebody in who has nothing to hide, but he pretends he does. And then you get the ruling from the court that, actually, no, these aren't attorney-client privilege. Here you go. You have to reveal these. You have to turn these over. And then, oh, that guy also communicated with Carrick. Let's look at those. Yep. Okay, got to turn those over. What about Bruce Marks, Cleta Mitchell, Morgan, Olson, Powell, Stepien? Troopus, Wood. Nope, got to turn those over. Got to turn those over. They're not legal advice. Now, there was something else I noticed about this. It's this subpoena, I believe. There's one other thing I wanted to comment on. Where is it? I think it was this subpoena. Yes, it is. Okay. We finish this with Brian. Was there anything else I wanted to mention to Brian? Brian asked for a specific list. Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is what I wanted to bring up. So I noticed on this subpoena that the United States attorney who signed it was Matthew Burke. And I thought, huh, I wonder who Matthew Burke is. I should go find out. So, I decided to look him up, and I found that Matthew Burke was appointed by U.S. Attorney Terwilliger in October 29, 2020. U.S. Attorney Terwilliger appoints election officers for the Eastern District of Virginia, and one of them was Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Burke. And Terwilliger is not a very common name. Sure enough, that Terwilliger right there, Zachary, G. Zachary Terwilliger, is the same Terwilliger that was appointed by Barr. Thank you very much. Shout out to Patriot uh, Molinese MFS right here. Shout out to you. For linking me this, Friday, September 20th, 2019, Attorney General Barr appoints nine new U.S. attorneys to advisory committee. The U.S. attorneys are to serve on the Attorney General's advisory committee, the AGAC, and among them, Zachary Terwilliger. Now, why do I care about that name? Well, I care about that name because Zachary here, who served under President Trump from May 25th, 2018 to January 15th, 2021, is the son of George J. Terwilliger, who is part of the band who worked with Barr and Mueller and Comey and Rosenstein and all these other people in the band back in the 80s and 90s who went after organized crime 
And they did it with the assistance of Robert Trump, Donald Trump, and the Trump organization. Because all those guys are assets. So you have a member of the band, George J. Terwilliger, whose son was appointed by Barr, another member of the band, who was then appointed to the Eastern District of Virginia. And then U.S. Attorney Terwilliger then appoints Matthew Burke, and it's Matthew Burke who is signing these subpoenas for Special Counsel Jack Smith. Give, gives me a good feeling. It, it gives me a good feeling. I feel uh, I feel pretty good about that. Um, good find right here by uh, MFS. Thank you very much for linking me that article or that press release from when Barr appointed him. So, I mean, just to sum it all up, guys, I I am strongly of the opinion Trump is not going to get indicted. They're not after Trump. I think that we all have to be really careful to not fall for the media fake news reporting on this and the narratives they want us to believe. And look... If if some filing comes out that starts making me believe that they actually are thinking of indicting Trump, that, that Trump is a person of interest or a target or a suspect, okay? If I see something or if I had seen something that made me think that, then I'll tell you guys, I'll show it to you, and I'll 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 revise it. You know, I'll adjust my estimation of all of this. Um, But so far, I haven't seen anything. And everything about the quote-unquote Trump Mar-a-Lago raid and all this other stuff that's happened with it, it just reminds me of exactly what's happened with Rudy Giuliani and Project Veritas and a bunch of other times where the FBI has shown up at a Trump building and said and had a reason to search something or subpoena something and gotten some records. I mean, it just we go we've gone through this so many times. This is a transfer of evidence and the crimes that Trump's accused of don't fit. They don't fit Trump. It doesn't make sense that Trump would be getting indicted for obstruction, obstruction and espionage act and. All of that—that doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know. Did I have it here? Is this one okay? I'm still wondering if there's going to be a search of Trump Tower. That's something I want to say. We all need to watch for. And I think I said this on on the show when I presented this from episode 160. Yeah, from episode 160, that Trump used a private. This is another reason to know that the DOJ isn't after Trump. They're letting Trump use privately hired teams of people to go search for classified documents. Another contradiction in what the media is telling you and what is actually going on. But I think this is something we all need to watch for. If 
we get some story about how the FBI raided Trump Tower or raided Trump's golf club. I want to know if there's any footage of it. I want to know. I, I'm like, that's what I'm looking for. If it if it happens that there's some story that the FBI raided Trump Tower or raided his golf course or raided a Miami storage unit or whatever, and the media doesn't get tipped off to it, it's just another massive indicator that DOJ is not after Trump. It's just another massive indicator. I mean, the Trump Tower especially, because it would be so difficult for the FBI to like show up here and do investigation here without so many people noticing so I want to know if they do it without wearing their jackets, if they just do this covert, inconspicuous transfer of evidence from Trump Tower, or if they let Trump's personal teams do it for them and then drop it off to them. We'll see. We'll see. And this is something I'm watching for. Um, but yes, Jack Smith, he is so close to actually investigating the 2020 steal, because I think, I think all of you would agree with me that the same people who tried to frame Trump for January 6th are the same bastards who stole the election in November, 2020, right? It's going to be the same people, right? So if you're investigating January 6th and trying to get to the bottom of that, and he's investigating, and Jack Smith's investigating the, all the events leading up to January 6th. Well, the events leading up to January 6th trace directly back to November 3rd, 2020. And it's going to be the same people involved. Now, I'm not telling you that Jack Smith's going to cause the election to be overturned in 2020. What I am telling you is I think he's going to bust at least part. He's going to gather, gather evidence on a big chunk of the people responsible for the steal in 2020 and for trying to frame Trump for January 6th. And I think those same people also came up with a plan to use, get to trick Trump and Pence to using fake electors because they wanted to impeach them and make sure they could never run for office again. Okay. Sticking with uh, this talk right here about Mar-a-Lago and Trump, I just want to show you something right here. House committee asked National Archives to review Trump's storage unit. Now, this is the House committee. This is the J6 committee. This is not DOJ. The media keeps conflating these. The media keeps trying to make it like DOJ and the January 6th committee are both after Trump and, you know, that they're working together as part of the same effort. They're not. They keep conflicting with one another and they're not happy with one another because they keep keep messing each other up, um, which I think is part of what J6 committee is for, is to try and get in the way of DOJ's investigation. But this is what I noticed here. House Oversight Committee sent a letter to the National Archives on Tuesday 
requesting a review to determine whether former President Donald Trump has retained any additional presidential records at his storage facility in Florida. The request came from Rep. Carolyn Maloney of New York. According to the letter obtained by the Post, Maloney expressed concern to acting archivist Deborah Stata Wall. The Trump storage facility and other properties, quote, may contain presidential records that were not the focus of the search and therefore have not been turned over to the federal government. Whether Maloney's investigation will gain traction is unclear. She has about two weeks left as the committee's chair. I expect in the next two weeks, January 6th committee is going to just whatever they have, they're going to drop it. They're going to do a Hail Mary. They're going to beg. They're going to send a post-it note to Garland saying, please indict Trump. And Garland's going to say that's up to the special counsel. The recovery of classified information, blah, blah, blah. Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the storage unit in West Palm Beach, Florida. Sorry, not Miami, West Palm Beach, where at least two items marked classified were discovered and contained a melange of gifts, boxes, and suits and other items of clothing, clothing, according to a person familiar with the contents of the unit who, like others, spoke on condition of anonymity. It's suits and swords and wrestling belts. Huh? It's suits and swords and wrestling belts and all sorts of things in that unit. I love the mention of wrestling belts because, hey, Fabe, to my knowledge, Trump has never ever been to the storage unit. I don't think anyone in Trump world could tell you what's in that storage unit. Occasionally, another person familiar with the matter said, Trump aides would go to the facility to look for particular things. During Trump's chaotic exit, now here's here's uh, some sensational language, but we're about to hit the juicy bit. During Trump's chaotic exit from the White House, there were several pallet deliveries to Mar-a-Lago and Florida, according to a staffer involved in the deliveries. Other deliveries went downstairs into the catacombs of Mar-a-Lago. The catacombs of Mar-a-Lago. If you don't know, Mar-a-Lago has some tunnels. That's what this is right here. That is a underground tunnel leading out of in and out of Mar-a-Lago. It's a matter. This is a matter of public record right here. This isn't like something new at all. This is public document, well-known that Mar-a-Lago has such things. Here's a better image of it. And it's labeled Tunnel to Beach. And this story, you may remember this story, depressed after his 2008 presidential flop, Rudy Giuliani and his third wife, Judith Giuliani, secretly moved into a bungalow across from Mar-a-Lago, former President Donald Trump's club in Palm Beach, where Giuliani recovered from his political humiliation and started to drink heavily, according to a new book by Andrew Kurtzman. Well, I kind of doubt all that, but he did live in a bungalow across the street from Mar-a-Lago. And guess what? 
The bungalow was connected to Mar-a-Lago by a tunnel underneath South Ocean Boulevard. Well, that wouldn't be the same tunnel that's listed on the public maps, now would it? This goes to the beach. I think this is talking about a different tunnel. The tunnel is, quote, one of many little-known passages and rooms beneath the expansive resort. The secret route allowed the couple to come and go from Trump's home without the media knowing. Bloomberg's Jason Leopold notes that the tunnels underneath Mar-a-Lago are actually part of the public record, though the Secret Service presumably locked them down after Trump was elected president. Maybe. Also, in Kurt's book, Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor, underground, quote, underground rooms at Mar-a-Lago are in the news after the FBI searched for some classified material taken from Trump. But Kurtzman's book also offers some insights into how Giuliani emerges when America's Trump's most stalwart, blah, 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 blah. Guys, what is another, what is another word for uh, catacombs? Let me just, uh, what, what's another term that people might use for catacombs? Or what is something, and maybe I should say this, what is something that comes to mind when you think of a catacomb? Wine cellars are a good bet. Wine cellars, yes. Wine cellars are yet. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Oh man, dumbs, graves, dungeons, labyrinth, tomb, crypt. Oh my gosh. Splunking. How about bat caves? There, John Otter got it. John Otter, there you go. Lions War, the friggin' bat cave. Exactly, guys. Exactly. A bat cave. When I read that article, I just started giggling. I just started giggling that they were calling it catacombs, the catacombs under Mar-a-Lago. I was like, oh my gosh, they're talking about a bat cave. Just another way of saying Trump's bat cave under Mar-a-Lago. It just makes too much sense. It just makes too much sense. Anyway, I really like I really like that story. <laughs> oh, I like it. It makes me laugh. Okay. SBF. The main the main course. Now that I've been streaming for an hour and a half, time to get to the main course. So SBF of FTX fame, 
was supposed to testify before Congress. And if you watch my show this morning, you already caught me start. This This is where we started the show this morning, but I'm going to uh, recover part of this ground before we get into the indictment. So Sam Bankman Freed was supposed to testify to Congress remotely because he was so overbooked. And on Monday, he did an interview with Unusual Whales. Unusual Whales is a Twitter account that is a very good follow. They do a lot of stock market and Bitcoin type um, reporting and also political reporting. Very good account to follow. And uh, they were hosting a Twitter spaces with Samuel Bankman Freed on Monday. And during that call, he literally said, I don't think I will be arrested. And I believe it was less than 24 hours later, he was arrested in the Bahamas. Then, on December 13th, which would be yesterday, I believe, right? I think it's yesterday. uh, His indictment was unsealed. Now, it wasn't just an indictment from DOJ. DOJ has an eight-count indictment against him, but the SEC and the CFTC also filed civil complaints against him. So this guy is in big trouble, and I have bookmarked these cases to continue following because um, I think this is absolutely huge, absolutely huge. This is the docket for his actual indictment from DOJ so far. Yep. Okay. So far he hasn't had any attorneys added to it. There hasn't been, um, counsel added to it for him. I saw somebody leave a comment on my show this morning. The one that failed that I wonder, I think it was, or maybe it was on here. Somebody made a comment that, Hey, I bet, um, I wonder if Perkins Cooey is going to represent Samuel Bankman freed. I thought that was a good comment. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do Um, or some of the other uh, famous swampy law firms. We'll see. By the way, UK Neil, thank you for the rumble rant. I just saw that. Uh, Thank you very much, sir. Securities and Exchange Commission also filed this complaint against him. I don't think any parties have been added for him. Let me see. Nope. For plaintiff. Nope. Nothing for defendant yet. And then the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, CFTC, also filed a civil complaint. This dude is in so much trouble. He is in so much trouble. So these are the indictments here, and I'm going to read the uh, criminal one. But I can't, before I read it, I want to make a comment because I've seen... I've seen a mix of things with this indictment. I've seen a mix of things before he was indicted. The black pilling message from the black pill crowd was that nothing's ever going to happen to him. He's protected. Uh, He's just going to get away with it. Garland Biden's Justice Department is going to protect him. Um, all this that all that kind of takes on it. And I was thinking, no. And I remember posting DOJ is looking into this guy already. The reason this um, the reason he's 
FB, um, the reason why FTX started collapsing, I mean, look, all these, the OIG and DOD and all of these entities are looking at uh, fraud going on in Ukraine and the money that the U.S. has been sending to Ukraine and what's happening to it. There's all these different pressures and entities that are examining what has been going on with him. And we have, there's rumors that DOJ is, it has a, is looking at him, which proved to be true. They had convened a grand jury and, um, it's like, no, he's, he's not going to get away with this. And, you know, I don't know when this grand jury was convened, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of the reasons for FTX's collapse was the fact that a grand jury had already been convened because people aren't supposed to talk about um, grand juries when like if you one if you're serving on one, of course, but if you've been called before a grand jury, you're not supposed to talk about it. But if this I don't know how long this grand jury has existed, but if this grand jury existed before the FTX collapse, that I'm going to say that one of the factors in the FTX collapse might have been people getting called in front of this grand jury to testify. This grand jury already being there and looking at FT, looking at Samuel Bankman Freed, and people that have been called in to testify, running their mouth, and then people who had invested in FTX getting nervous because there were rumors that there was this grand jury going on, and so they start pulling their money out. And one thing leads to another and FTX collapses. I'm not saying that did happen. I'm just saying that if this grand jury was going on before the FTX collapse, that's a possibility. So before this indictment came out, the black pilling was that nothing would ever happen. Now that something has happened and he has been indicted the black pilling message is either he's going to get killed or this mostly this is a cover up. I've even seen takes where people are saying DOJ is protecting SBF by indicting him. They didn't want him to go talk to Congress and tell us all about this stuff. So they indicted him the day before he was supposed to speak at Congress. And that's really suspect. And. I I just I'm just thankful that I don't live such a cynical life. <laughs> like I don't know how you can be so cynical about this stuff. Um I mean I kind of do, but when you this guy is part of this giant money laundering operation. He's at the top of this giant money laundering operation that sent tens of millions of dollars in 2022, to all of these Democrat candidates and a bunch of Republicans, too, trying to bribe the entire swamp. And he gets indicted on eight counts, including one count for election fraud, for violating campaign finance law. And you're and instead of saying, yes, we got to win. Awesome. This guy's been indicted. The bastard deserves it. I can't wait for this prosecution and trial. Instead of taking that and like recognizing that there's a win, people are pivoting to, well, it's just a cover up op or nothing's going to happen to him or he, they're just going to take him out in prison. Um, it's just, 
I just can't, I, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like take, take the fucking win. <laughs> like, sorry, but take the fucking win. <laughs> like, anyway, here's his indictment. Eight counts. Here's count one. Conspiracy to commit wire fraud on customers. And yeah, um, I saw Flying Storm means they were investigating long before. Yeah, that's what I think, Flying Storm. That is that is what I think. I think this is way too quick to get a grand jury indictment. I think that they were investigating him for a long time. All right. Which means they gathered evidence on him influencing the election, guys. And you'll see that. From at least in or about 2019 up to and including in or about November 2022. In the Southern District of New York and elsewhere, Samuel Bankman Freed, a.k.a. SBF, the defendant, and others known and unknown, willfully and knowingly did combine, conspire, confederate, and agree together with each other to commit wire fraud. In violation of Title 18 United States Code, Section 1343. Two, it was a part and object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed, a.k.a. SBF, the defendant and others known and unknown knowingly having devised and intended to devise a scheme and art- artifice to defraud and for obtaining money and property by means of false and fraudulent pretenses, representations and promises would and did transmit and cause to be transmitted by means of wire radio and television communication and interstate and foreign commerce writing signs, signals, pictures, and sounds for the purpose of executing such a scheme and artifice in violation of Title 18, United States Code, Section 1343. To wit, Bankman Freed agreed with others to defraud customers of FTX.com by misappropriating those customers' deposits and using those deposits to pay expenses and debts of Alameda Research, Bankman Freed's proprietary proprietary crypto hedge fund and to make investments. Now count two wire fraud on customers. The grand jury further charges from at least in or about 2019 up to and including in or about November, 2022 in the Southern district of New York and elsewhere. Samuel Bankman freed AKA AKA SBF, the defendant knowingly having devised and intended to devise a scheme and artifice to defraud and for obtaining money and property by means of false and fraudulent pretenses, representations and promises transmitted and caused to be transmitted by means of wire radio and television communication and interstate and foreign commerce, writing signs, signals, pictures and sound for the purpose of executing such scheme and artifice to wit Bankman Freed, along with others, engaged in a scheme to defraud customers of FTX.com by misappropriating those customers' deposits and using those deposits to pay expenses and debts of Alameda Research, Bankman Freed's proprietary, proprietary crypto hedge fund, and to make investments. Now, count three, conspiracy to commit wire fraud on lenders from at least in or about June 2022 and up to and including in or about November 2022, in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere, Samuel Bankman Freed, the defendant and others known and unknown, willfully and knowingly did combine, conspire, confederate, and agree together and with each other to commit wire fraud in violation of Title 18, Sections 1343. 
It was a part and object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown knowingly having devised and intended to devise a scheme and artifice to defraud and for obtaining money and property by means of false and fraudulent pretenses, representations, and promises would and did transmit and cause to be transmitted by means of wire, radio, and television communication in interstate and foreign commerce, writing signals, signs, pictures, and sound for the purpose of executing such a scheme and artifice in violation of title 18, section 1343 to wit Bankman Freed agreed with others to defraud lenders to Alameda Research, Bankman Freed's proprietary crypto hedge fund, by providing false and misleading information to those lenders regarding Alameda Research's financial condition. Count four wire fraud of lenders. From at least in or about 2019 up to and including in or about November 2022, in Southern District of New York, Samuel Bankman Freed knowingly having devised and intended to devise a scheme and artifice to defraud and for obtaining money and property by means of false and fraudulent pretenses, representations and promises transmitted and caused to be transmitted by wire, radio, and television communication in interstate and foreign commerce, writing signs, signals, pictures, and sounds for the purpose of executing such a scheme and artifice to wit. Bankman Freed, along with others engaged in a scheme to defraud lenders of Alameda Research, Bankman Freed's crypto hedge fund, by providing false and misleading information to those lenders regarding Alameda Research financial condition. Count 5. Conspiracy to Commit Commodities Fraud From at least in or about 2019 up to and including in or about November 2020, 2022, in the Southern District of New York, Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown willfully and knowingly did combine, conspire, confederate, and agree together and with each other to commit an offense against the United States. To wit, commodities fraud in violation of Title VII, United States Code, Sections 9-1 and 13-A-5, and Title 17, Code of Federal Regulations, Section 180.1. It was a part and an object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown willfully and knowingly would and did directly and indirectly use and employ and attempt to use and employ in connection with a swap a contract of sale of a commodity in interstate commerce and for the future delivery on and subject to the rules of registered entity and manipulative and deceptive device and contrivance in contravention of Title 17, Section 180.1, by A, using and employing and attempting to use and employ a manipulative device, scheme, and artifice to defraud, B, making and attempting to make an untrue and misleading statement of a material fact and omitting to state a material fact necessary in order to make the statements made not untrue and misleading and C engaging and attempting to engage in an act practice or course of business, which operated and would operate as a fraud and deceit upon a person in violation of title seven sections nine, one 13, a five to wit. Bankman Freed agreed with others to defraud customers of FTX.com, trading or intended intending to trade swaps by misappropriating those customers' deposits and using those deposits to pay expenses and debts of Alameda Research. In furtherance of the conspiracy and to the effect the illegal object thereof, the following overt act, among others, was committed in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere in or about June 2022. Samuel Bankman Freed, the defendant, and others misappropriated FTX.com customer deposits in order to, among other things, satisfy loan obligations owed 
by Alameda Research. Count six, conspiracy to commit securities fraud. From at least in or about May 2022, up to and including in or about November 2022, in the Southern District of New York, Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown willfully and knowingly did combine, conspire, confederate, and agree together and with each other to commit an offense against the United States, to wit, securities fraud in violation of Title 15 United States Code, Section 78JB, 78FF, and Title 17. It was a part and an object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown willfully and knowingly would and did directly and indirectly by use of means and instrumentality of interstate commerce and of the mails in a facility of national securities exchange use and employ in connection with the purchase and sale of security registered on a national securities exchange and any security not so registered, a manipulative and deceptive device and contravance of Title 17, Go to Federal Regulation, Section 24010B5A, employing a device scheme and artifice to defraud. B, making an untrue statement of material fact and omitting a state of material facts necessary in order to make the statements made in the light of the circumstance under which they were made. C, engaging in an act, practice, or course of business which operated and would operate as a fraud and deceit upon a person. Bankman, to wit, Bankman Freed agreed with others to engage in a scheme to defraud investors in FTX.com by providing false and misleading information to those investors regarding FTX.com's financial condition. In furtherance of the conspiracy and to effect of the illegal object thereof, the following overt act, among others, was committed in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere. On or about September 18th, 2022, Samuel Bankman Free, the defendant, caused an email to be sent to an FTX investor in New York that contained materially false information about FTX's financial condition. Count 7. Conspiracy to Commit Money Laundering From at least in or about 2020 up to and including in or about November 2022, in the Southern District of New York, Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown intentionally and knowingly did combine, conspire, confederate, and agree together and with each other to violate Title 18, Sections 1956A1BI and 1957A. It was a part and an object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown in an offense in and affecting interstate and foreign commerce, knowing that the property involved in a financial transaction, to wit, one or more monetary transfers represented the proceeds of some form of unlawful activity. Mm. Would and did conduct and attempt to conduct such a financial transaction, which in fact involved the proceeds of specified unlawful activity, to wit the wire fraud alleged in count two of this indictment, knowing that the transaction was designed in whole and in part to conceal and disguise the nature, the location, the source, and the ownership and the control of the proceeds of specified law, law enforcement activity or unlawful activity. It was a further part and object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown within the United States would and did knowingly engage and attempt to engage in a monetary transaction in criminally derived property of a value greater than $10,000 and that was derived from specified unlawful activity, 
do with the wire fraud alleged in count two of this indictment in violation of Title 18, Section 1957A. Now, here is probably going to be what is our favorite count. Count eight. Conspiracy to defraud the United States and violate the campaign finance laws. From at least in or about 2020 up to and including in or about November 2022 in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere. Samuel Bankman Freed, a.k.a. SBF, the defendant, and others known and unknown, knowingly did combine, conspire, confederate, and agree together and with each other to defraud the United States in violation of Title 18, Section 371. And willfully and knowingly did combine, conspire, confederate, and agree together and with each other to commit offenses against the United States by engaging in violations of federal law involving the making, receiving, and reporting of a contribution, donation, or expenditure in violation of Title 52, Sections 30109, D1, A, and D. It was part and an object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown would and did defraud the United States and an agency thereof by impairing, obstructing, and defeating the lawful functions of a department and agency of the United States through deceitful and dishonest means, to wit, the Federal Election Commission's function to administer federal law concerning source and amount of restrictions in federal elections, including the prohibitions applicable to corporate contributions and conduit contributions in violation of Title 18, Section 371. It was a further part and object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed and others known and unknown would and did knowingly and willfully make contributions to candidates for federal office, joint fundraising committees, and independent expenditure committees in the names of other persons, aggregating to $25,000 and more in a calendar year, in violation of Title 52, Sections 30122 and 30109, D1A and D. It was a further part and object of the conspiracy that Samuel Bankman Freed, the defendant and others known and unknown, would and did knowingly and willfully make contributions to candidates for federal office and a joint fundraising committees by a corporation aggregating to $25,000 or more in a calendar year in violation of Title 52, Sections 30118 and 30109 D1A. In furtherance of the conspiracy and to an effort and to effect the illegal objects thereof, the following overt act among others, was committed in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere in or about 2022. Samuel Bankman Freed, the defendant, and one or more conspirators agreed to and did make corporate contributions to candidates and committees in the Southern District of New York and were reported in the name of another person. Forfeiture Allegations As a result of committing the offenses alleged in counts 1, 2, 3, and 4 of this indictment, Samuel Bankman Freed shall forfeit to the United States pursuant to Title 1828 and all property real and personal that constitutes or is derived from proceeds traceable to the commission of said offenses, including but not limited to a sum of money in the United States currency representing the amount of proceeds traceable to the commission of said offenses. As a result of committing the alleged offenses, In count seven, 
of this indictment, Samuel Bankman freed the defendant shall forfeit to the United States pursuant to Title uh, 18, Section 982A1, any and all property, real and personal, involved in said offense or in any property traceable to such property, including but not limited to a sum of money in the United States currency representing the amount of property involved in any of the above-described forfeitable property and as a result of any act or omission of the defendant, A, cannot be located upon the exercise of due diligence, has been transferred or sold or deposited to a third person, has been placed beyond the jurisdiction of the court, has been substantially diminished in value, or has been commingled with other property which cannot be subdivided without difficulty. It is the intent of the United States pursuant to Title 21, Section 853, and Title 28, Section 2461, to seek forfeiture of any other property of the defendant up to the value of the above forfeitable property. Signed by Damian Williams. Now, this indictment out of Southern District of New York, this kid screwed up. I mean, he screwed up in a million ways, but he screwed up because they literally seem to have got him. Here are FTX's contributions from the Federal Election Commission website. And if I control F for NY... I get six hits. This is Ryan Salome, Arkansas for Leadership Political Action Committee, but the state in which it's located is New York. And here's another one, MVL PAC, New York, Lawler for Forgiveness, New York, Elise for Congress, New York, and let me see. There's a total of 500. Actually, I need to expand this page. Hold up. There's more than that. Sixty-four. <clears throat> so many of these place. So many of these um, contributions. Look at that. All of these got money. All of these got money. There's win red, all these win red contributions. Now there's a mistake where it's highlighted Tony for NY, but the reason he's indicted out of New York or one of the reasons is because they, they literally caught him. They caught him funneling money to all these campaigns and to these political action committees that were located within the jurisdiction of the Southern district of New York. And this is just on a page of 100. There's 534 entries in total that he donated to. It's nuts. It's nuts. And so one or more of these donations in New York directly contributed to this indictment. The other thing is that count eight, my favorite one, and I'm sure your favorite too, for violations of campaign finance law. He's literally in trouble for what we would want him to be in trouble for as relates to our elections. And there's nothing that says these are the only charges he's going to catch. These are the charges he's caught so far. And there's nothing that says that he's going to be the only one charged. (laughs) In fact, the indication from this indictment talking about others known and unknown and talking about co-conspirators, there's probably more than just SBF who has been uh, indicted 
um, or is soon to be indicted. But I think, you know, the, the mainstream media, they're going to focus on him being indicted for wire fraud and um, things like that. Things having to do with FTX and the SEC and things like that. That's what they're going to focus on. They're, the mainstream media is going to ignore count eight because count eight has to do with all their favorite politicians getting money from them. And what I'm most excited about with this case is seeing how far DOJ goes into these donations. Um, I saw someone say, how about act blue? It's all in here. It's all in here. He donated to so much stuff. Um, it doesn't let you sort at the top. It let me sort. It does data receipt right here, but it doesn't let me sort by state or recipient or contributor. So I can't, it lets me sort by amount. It let me sort by date and amount. So I, the vast majority of his money went to Democrats. The vast, vast majority. But he also gave money to a bunch of Republicans, and some of that is because they're swampy Republicans. The other part of it, it I, I showed this on the show, that substack um, from David Giglio. There he is linking that. Where's his substack? I have his substack somewhere. Maybe he has it pinned. If he has it pinned, I can show you. Yeah, he does. Cool. All right. So this guy put together the sub stack where he went through the FEC website and he found that um, Samuel Bateman Freed basically donated to candidates that were going to win because he was trying to buy influence. He donated to all parties because he was just wanting to get influence. Um, 99% of the money donated by FTX executives went to incumbents incumbents who were extremely likely, if not guaranteed, to win re-election. In races rated as likely R or likely D, the money went to the candidate from that party. In toss-up, the money went to both. In toss-up races, he gave money to both sides, guys. His only Their goal was to... Just get favors out of Congress, just to buy the swamp. It was just buying the swamp. Um, here's a spreadsheet that he put together. I'll link this Substack real quick in a uh, chat because it's a really good one. It's a really good Substack. I presented it on the show a couple weeks ago, but it contains this spreadsheet that you can go through and look at all of the. Uh... Look, he even gave to Adam Laxalt. And just because he gave to someone, you can't read into it that that person is therefore bad in some way you just you can't because this guy was literally giving to both sides on purpose and then whatever whoever won he was just going to be like yay they won so now look i gave you a bunch of money so i have influence over you um yeah that's that was his game it was mostly Republican, though. It was, let me see if he, it's probably listed here. The, or mostly Democrat. He gave, 
like by orders of magnitude, it was mostly money to Democrat causes. Uh-huh. Don't see it there. Let's see, did he? There it is. There it is. The total amount of money he gave, or the FTX executives gave to Democrats, was forty-one point five million. And to Democrat, or to Republicans, they gave twenty-one point nine. So basically, almost double. They almost gave double the Democrats what was given to Republicans. But the main goal was to just buy the swamp. That was his whole goal. And here's a link to the uh, FEC site that has has already has the search terms in it entered for uh, who FTX contributed to. By the way, uh, good e- on Foxhole, good evening, Diddy Style and Ash. Thank you very much for the gold pills. Much appreciated. Yeah, that's right. Salt Muncher, he did say in an interview he gave just as much to Republicans, but it was dark money because the press would freak out. Which, that might have been the dumbest thing he could have said. Like, is he, did, he's definitely going to be asked about that from prosecutors. Prosecutors are definitely going to bring that up and say, so you said in this interview you gave money to Republicans um, via dark money routes. So you want to tell us about that, Mr. Mister Samuel? You want to tell us about this dark money to Republicans? <laughs> Additionally... SBF's parents are reportedly, reportedly under scrutiny by the FBI as well. They are both Stanford law professors, Bankman and Freed, and they will note they have already said they're not teaching anymore. His mother is saying it's part of her retirement and has nothing to do with FTX, but, uh, I doubt it. Both of his parents are law professors and uh, at Stanford. And I think they're in trouble. I think they're in trouble. And then I found, I was looking to see if anybody had given money back. I did find that some lawmakers immediately gave money back. So uh, representatives Garcia, Hearn, and a few others immediately gave money back. I know that Beto gave money back. And then other political action committees and candidates have um, taken their money and donated it. Like they've donated the same amount of money they were gifted from FTX to charities or something. Um, but that's something to watch for is how how many of these politicians give the money back or do something to try and right the uh the wrong we'll see that's something to pay attention to and just see where they're at <clears throat> now 
How long could Samuel Bankman Freed go to prison for? This is from G.R. Dechter on Twitter. She says, I looked at a few cases with similar charges, and here's what I found out. At a maximum, Samuel Bankman Freed could spend the rest of his life in jail. Maximum. Many of his charges have harsh sentencing guidelines. If you guys don't know, when it comes to federal cases, there are guidelines on sentencing that are pretty strict. Judges don't have near as much leeway on what they can they can do with a, a, a sentence. So, for example, wire fraud carries a maximum of 20, and that's just one of his eight charges. So his sentence could potentially be 100 years or longer if he is convicted of all eight counts. But what's the most likely scenario? I looked at a few cases with similar charges. Perhaps the most infamous fraud case of all time is Bernie Madoff. He pleaded guilty to 11 felonies. Three of those charges overlap with SBF's charge charges, wire fraud, securities fraud, and money laundering, Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison. James Paul Lewis Jr. ran one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history, although it was smaller than Madoff's. He pleaded guilty to money laundering and wire fraud after collecting $311 million in funds from investors over 20 years For his Ponzi scheme, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Jordan Belfort got a relatively light sentence compared to many others. He pleaded guilty to securities fraud and money laundering and was sentenced to just 22 months. He stole up to $110 million from his victims. Why was his sentence so light? He cooperated with authorities and gave information on others at his company who committed crimes. He even wore a wire so that prosecutors could record conversations for evidence. What about a less famous case? A few months ago, a California stockbroker named Robert Cirillo was sentenced to 6.5 years in prison for running a $3.2 million investment fraud. His charges were securities fraud and tax fraud. And then this one from a month ago, laundering money obtained from a fraud scheme, got this guy 45 months or 3.75 years in prison. The two main variables in these cases seem to be the dollar amount involved and the amount of cooperation. FTX's alleged fraud is already among the largest ever. Somewhere in the 10 to 20 billion dollar range. So Sam's only options for avoiding a lengthy prison sentence are cooperation or fighting the charges. His attorneys are no doubt testing the waters on a plea deal, but prosecutors won't offer a friendly deal, even if Sam can provide something incriminating on other defendants. If a defendant pleads guilty, Before their case gets to trial, they generally get a lighter sentence. Especially with a high-profile case, defendants rarely get a light sentence if they're convicted at trial. Sam is being held in the Bahamas without bail until his next court hearing in February. 
However, he could be extradited to the United States before then to face his charges. If you want to know everything Sam was charged with, read this. This is another thread. A lot more than she links her substack, gritcapital.substack.com. I saw somewhere else, um, someone made the comment, I don't remember who it was, that it's natural for everybody to compare Samuel Bankman Freed to Bernie Madoff because of how big these fraud schemes are. But Bernie Madoff was running his frauds for over a decade, years and years. And it was huge, and he got 150 years in prison. Samuel Bankman Freed is way bigger than what Murdoff was doing, Madoff was doing, way bigger. And he only ran his scheme for a very short amount of time. And he was, I mean, just extreme, extreme in what he was able to do. So, it, like, you can compare it to Madoff, but it's so much bigger and it happened so much more quickly than Madoff. And then it has this other element of him contributing to all of these politicians. I would love it if Freed is able to give out a lot of information on others involved. But um, I'm not getting my hopes up for that, that he's going to be able to turn over that many names with his evidence and what he can say, because I think the guy's dumb. Um, or at least that's my impression. My impression is the, the guy isn't too smart, and he mostly spent his time playing video games and having sex and doing drugs and partying and just fly by the seat of his pants and got propped up by the amount of money he had and how he was just throwing it around to all these different causes. And he came up with the, uh, this new type of altruism that was really just money laundering to leftist causes. And I don't think he actually knows that much. Um, I could be wrong though. Could be, could be totally wrong, but my impression is he's not like this deep insider in the financial world with all these connections and inside information. And I think he's, I think it's what I think he's got used by the system, by the swamp. Now, some of those co-conspirators and actors known and unknown that were mentioned in the indictment, they may be able to turn over some other people, but SBF, I'm not going to get my hopes up for because he just doesn't seem that's just my impression anyway. Uh, yeah. So over a hundred years in prison, if he's convicted on all charges and gets the max. All right. What was, what was this that I was going to share? Oh yeah. From Patriot CP. They linked me this in my chat. It seems that it's possible that 
or at least there's some reporting that Samuel Bankman Freed and some others were thinking of fleeing to Dubai before they were arrested. They, that there was some plan that was supposedly going on. Um, FTX, San, former CEO Sam Bankman Freed and co-founder Gary Wang and director of engineering Nishad Singh are understood to be in the Bahamas under supervision. This is a bit older article, okay? A source familiar with the matter told uh, Cohen Telegraph, Coin Telegraph, that the three former FTX executives are looking for ways to flee to Dubai. The plan was made assuming the United States doesn't have any extradition trees with the UAE. But actually, <clears throat> on February 24th of 2022, the United States and United Arab Emirates signed a bilateral agreement enhancing law enforcement cooperation. So, even if he had been successful in fleeing to the UAE, it wouldn't have been as easy as that for him. But there is there are there is reporting that that was their plan was to try and get escape to the UAE because they thought they wouldn't be able to get extradited from there. But nope, they can be. But it doesn't matter now because they got. They're in prison now. And I had a picture of him somewhere, but, um, oh, here it is. Here it's going to be. This is him at his court hearing uh, yesterday. So. Okay, I think that's, yeah, that's it. That's what I wanted to cover on that. Before I cover my very last thing, um, I do want to say thank you guys for sticking with me. And I know we had some problems earlier on in the stream. If you enjoyed it, hit that plus button or the thumbs up, whichever, whatever it looks like for you. Uh, JC Bird, good evening. Thank you for the uh, gold pills over there on Foxhole. Thank you guys for joining me for an evening stream. If you're interested in supporting the show, please like it, uh, subscribe, share it around. Um, I have a clips channel where I put up shorter clips of it. If you want to look it up on rumble, just human clips. And, uh, you can find short, uh, I clip out the segment so that they're easier to share and get people interested in the show. Um, if you want to do more than that, bensonhoneyfarms.com rep code, just human. When you check out, or justhuman.substack.com or buymeacupofcoffee.com slash justhuman. The links for all of those things are in the description over on Rumble. Um, or you can just hit my link tree on any of my social media profiles. It's it's the support that y'all give to the show that make it possible for me to do this, to do this research and to do these streams. Um, and I really appreciate it, guys. I love doing this and... Um, I was excited about presenting some of the information I did today. Uh, not done yet. I got one more thing I want to present. It's going to be short, but it's one more thing. Actually, let's do rapid fire. I'll grab these three things. Yeah. 
So remember that uh, Andre uh, Durkacz was in, indicted, and I covered that, and I was really excited about it. Well, one of his partners, Mikhail Friedman, was also arrested last week in the U.K. And uh, he, this guy, if you don't know who he is, well, he's the founder of Alpha Group. Alpha Group, as in the group that owns Alpha Bank, as in the same Alpha Bank that was part of the Alpha Gate hoax against Trump back in 2016. So now the reporting is this guy's top Russian financier and enabler of Vladimir Putin. He's in Putin's inner circle, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, they always say this stuff. Putin's associated with all of these people who get in trouble because they want to damage Putin. This guy's another globalist swamp monster, international swamp monster, and he's been arrested on money laundering charges in the UK. Awesome. Next thing, Danske Bank, the largest bank in Denmark, has pled guilty to fraud on U.S. banks in a multi-billion dollar scheme to access the U.S. financial system. And, uh, yeah, another giant bank pleading guilty. I feel like I'm seeing these stories every single week of giant banks getting caught, money laundering, defrauding customers, defrauding other banks, Etc. Etc. Donska Bank pleads guilty. Next, from Tuesday, Russian military and intelligence agencies procurement network network indicted in Brooklyn. This is another group of Russians, supposedly Russians anyway, who uh, were conspiring conspiring and did attempt to take uh, technology from the U.S and ship it to Russia, and they were caught doing it as part of the Klepto, is it Klepto, Task Force Klepto Capture? Um, Really, this is about oligarchs. This is about swamp. This is swampy Russians and others who are trying to get around trade restrictions and and uh, sanctions and are... The, the stuff that they specifically have here are semiconductors and equipment that are used in military tech, such as missiles and nuclear weapons. And they got, they got busted. Now, a lot of people look at this and they're just like, I, I my react when I shared this article or this press release, I noticed a reaction where people were just like, is this a distraction? Is this all fake? Because they're just trying to make it seem as if Russia's bad, but I don't really take it as this is against Russia the country, the nation. I, I'm thinking more of, I'm start. I'm coming of the opinion that task force klepto capture is taking out swampy Russian oligarchs who are also enemies of Putin. So it's like, we have these super rich people over here in America that influence our politics too much like Samuel Bankman fried and uh, others. And I really, I really feel like task force klepto capture is draining the Russian swamp. Not positive on that, but I've been chewing on it for a while and 
I keep noticing that the the entities that Task Force Klepto Capture and the Treasury are going after under the the guise of in response to Russia's illegal war in Ukraine, that's the the set that's the bumper sticker that they put on it. I keep I keep looking at it and thinking this is this sure seems like swamp draining that benefits everybody, including Russia. So just a thought. Now, last thing. A comment from Dawson that really stood out to me. And this is in a whole thread here about what was this thread even about? I don't even remember. Oh, it was about Raffensperger getting indicted. Or getting subpoenaed, not indicted. Ooh, I hope he gets indicted. Uh, but getting subpoenaed. <clears throat> so Dawson said, stop believing any news that has a partisan angle. Learn to read news looking for the caveats that explains when it transitions from facts to narratives. Watch the prosecutions, not the partisan accusations. So I think this is stellar advice, a stellar advisement. This is partly what I mean when I say put your filter on or develop. I've talked before about developing a filter for when you're looking at the news and scanning it, reading articles, having a filter that helps you to cut out the fake news, cut out the narratives and just see what facts are there. I often get a bunch of pushback when I share something from Politico or CNN or Washington post or New York times, I share an article and I often get pushback on it. Like, why are you sharing this article that the Washington post is trashed? The New York times is whatever. And I'm not sharing the article for the truth of the entire thing. I'm sharing it because within it, there's information. But to get to that information, you've got to parse it. You've got to filter it. You've got to parse it. You've got to exclude things that you recognize as being sensationalism or clickbait or whatever. And find what the actual information is that's in it. And maybe that information that's in it, you give, you know, only a little bit of weight to. You may find something in here like, well, it says according to two anonymous sources, so... Um, okay. I'm, I'm not going to give that much information. I'm not going to give that much credibility to it because there's two anonymous sources, right? And that's fair. Or there might be some stuff that says, Hey, on this date, these people were here and they did this thing and everything around it is fake news or sensationalism or narrative. And it's, it's all about trying to develop your own filter and your own way of reading the news. Brian Murphy, Brian Murphy and rumble chat. Just that's a perfect analogy. Uh, Got a pan for gold. It's like panning for gold. It is. That is a, thank you. That is a great way to think of it. Um, and I'm going to say, guys, I am totally fine. I'm partisan. All, all of your favorite alt media type people are partisan. I have biases and I'm partisan about certain stuff. And you shouldn't take everything I say 
you know, at face value or like, I mean, you can take it at face value, but don't like, you know, be aware of my, where I'm biased and where, what my partisan thinking is and just qu- quantify that factor that into what I'm saying and decide what you think about it. Um, and we talk on the show I do on Sunday nights on Badlands defected. We talk about learning to program yourself and deprogramming yourself from other news and media and learning to program yourself with your own beliefs. That's exactly what Dawson is getting at here is looking at the news and not taking the programming that comes with it. Like all those articles we read earlier with Washington post and uh, about the Trump, about DOJ looking at Trump properties and the special counsel and all of that stuff. All of those news articles we looked at were filled with partisan stuff and narratives and fake news and supposition and uh, sensationalism. They're all filled with that. The same is true of conservative incorporated media, maybe even more so with conservative incorporated media, because so much of it is clickbait and hyper um, hyper partisanship and hyper uh, hyperbole. You just got to learn to filter that out and find, okay, what is the actual, what is the actual piece of news that's in this? If there is any, um, so yeah, I want, I just wanted to mention this, uh, tweet from Dawson and, uh, I think, I think it really hits home. I think it's really solid advice. Okay, that's my show this evening. I am not sure about Friday's show because my uh, my three-year-old has a Christmas party on Friday. So I think I'm... I think I'm not going to do a show Friday morning. And I'm trying to decide if I do a show on Friday night or, or what I'm going to do. I haven't decided yet. But... Um, my kids got a, a Christmas party on that Friday morning. And um, I also think it might be a half day for my older kid. So I have to pick him up. Anyway, Friday show is iffy. I, I'm, I'm thinking right now I'm not going to do a Friday morning show. Because if I did do one, it would be really short. I'd be like an hour. Um, so if I do, it, it may be an hour. Um, we'll see. Anyway, just be aware of that. So. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Y'all have a good night, and uh, God bless.